The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Boy, oh boy, are we going to have ourselves a show this week, viewers and listeners. You should know I am fresh off of a vacation. I mean fresh off a vacation. I mean the plane just landed. I got in Miami traffic, sat in Miami traffic forever and ever, got into my house in the nick of time, just had enough time to like take a very quick shower and shave off my vacation beard so I could be here Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern for Break the Business, and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I'm really, really thrilled to be here with y'all and really thrilled to be joined by our guest co-host this week, Elisa Rockdock is here. Hi, Elisa. I'm doing very, very well. Although I will say uh, my vision of what my vacation to Cancun was going to be. Cancun. Cancun, right? Think of everything that Cancun is, right? Um, You know, the sandy beaches, the bottomless drinks, Mm. the just crystal blue waters, unlimited sunshine. Mm pure rest relaxation and ecstasy in the way that only cancun can provide and now imagine all of that with an 18 month old joining you on the journey see there's there's where you might have goofed what the hell was i thinking rock doc (laughs) i mean don't get me wrong we got so many amazing pictures of this little guy standing in the sand and you know enjoying the water having a great time and what you don't see in any of the pictures is just like what it means to have to parent an 18 month old while you're on vacation and there's no sleep happening and there's lots of diaper changes happening and while it was an unforgettable trip and i and i love it and treasure it oh it's not what you're supposed to do in cancun by any means (laughs) y'all y'all got beaches there yeah i'll bet you you a beach there we should have. I mean, and and don't get me wrong, we do. But I mean, yeah, there was very little relaxing happening. I I think, I mean, like I'm torn, right? Because on one hand, like it was really special, and there's something about like seeing your kid enjoy yeah. things and experience things for the first time, and it's like you experiencing them all over again. Those are priceless memories. On the other hand, it was a four-night vacation. I slept maybe five hours total. And not for a good reason. Not the fun way. Yeah, not the fun way. Not the fun (laughs) way you're supposed to only get five hours of sleep in Cancun. The you know, 18-month-old deciding right now to go through the sleep regression stage while you're on vacation. But it is good to be back and to be uh, joined by you, Elisa Rockdock. How are you doing on our first Thursday show here on Break? Oh my Christmas? gosh. Well, happy new moon, by the way. 
um, for any creatives out there who are looking for an excuse to be like, I'm just going to hit the reset button on those resolutions that I might have fallen off on. Um, if you are going to hit the reset button on that, I, I, I would say as a, as, as a practicing witch and doctor, doctor's orders, you are perfectly allowed to hit the reset button on all of those resolutions today in honor of the full moon. Start over, just start over. <laughs> so, well, help me understand this. So because of the, the, of where the new moon is in the calendar, we all get kind of a second crack at resolutions here in like the second week of January, if we feel so inclined. I like this. Yeah. And, 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 and I would argue if you are the kind of person who likes to reinvent yourself very frequently, I would say going by the moon cycles is great. You get a whole new era every two to four weeks. So. I like this because <laughs> I, like many people do on New Year's Eve, made a resolution that I was going to get into better shape and oh. made that resolution right before going to an all-inclusive resort in Cancun. Okay. See. Where That's I ate my body goofed. weight in pastries. Also where you goofed. So I kind of like the idea of being able to start again. Okay, start now we're going to get ourselves yeah. together. I now. like this. I like yeah. this a lot. Yeah. What I also like a lot, Rock Doc, is this particular episode of Break the Business is kind of like a revisiting for you and I. Because yeah. 11 months ago, we had a guest on the program named... Alan Jenkins, a professor mm -hmm. at Harvard Law School. And unlike most law professors that just mainly give Ryan anxiety, bringing mm -hmm. back all kinds of horrible memories of being in law school, Alan Jenkins is a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. Because in addition <laughs> to being a Harvard Law professor, which is awesome, he's also a graphic novelist and has put out the 1-6 series. This is a graphic novel series that imagines an alternate history where the January 6th attacks on the Capitol succeeded. Really powerful, thought-provoking stuff. We interviewed Professor Jenkins 11 months ago on the show when he put out issue number one, and he's going to be rejoining us again tonight with the release of issue number two. So we get to keep that conversation going, raise our IQ a bit by having uh, him joining us. And uh, I mean, raise the taste level yeah. of this joint just a little bit. Just like, a little bit. I feel like we gotta uh, we, we we gotta like clean up around here a little bit. I mean, this is this is a, a Harvard law professor here. He's not going to suffer uh, through our shenanigans. I would no. hope. I mean, yeah, maybe comb our hair a little bit. But I mean that I mean th that interview blew you away when we did that. That was wonderful, ago, right? Like absolutely, absolutely, just, it was a treat. And was an I felt treat. like of the three of us, like you and him. I think we're kind of like carrying this interview because you were bringing the sociologist perspective oh. and the impact of comics and pop culture mm. throughout history. So you two had a great discussion. I was just like kind of sitting there hiding under a rock, actually thinking of the possibility of January 6th succeeding and being like very freaked out. And, you know, it was quite an interview. I encourage people to go check that one out. Yes. If you haven't checked it out uh, and you can uh, enjoy this one uh, as we do it later in the show. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. I'd uh, lots happened in eleven months, so I know that's the other thing. So, I mean, in the past eleven months, right? We've had what ninety-one counts worth of Trump indictments, and we've had the primary campaign starting. And I'm going to bring this up with Alan Jenkins when he comes in because I want to get his perspective on it. I feel like eleven months ago. The idea of a novel where January 6th succeeded was just like, oh, ha ha, wouldn't that be interesting? And now here we are 11 months later, like, oh my God, is this kind of, is this a, are we predicting something with this novel? Because 
a lot's yeah. happened in 11 months. I'm nervous. Yeah, definitely looking forward to whether or not there has been an extensive revision situation yeah. happening. Yeah, looking forward to that. I mean, I'm kind of wondering if, like, is he afraid at this point? Like, when you put out these kind of novels, like, that he's giving these people a playbook? <laughs> like, they're reading his novels. Like, we're all reading them and being appropriately horrified. Those people are reading the novels being like, oh, he's got some good ideas in here. Yes, absolutely. I didn't think I'm going to add that to the list. I'm going to call it Soylent. That sounds like a wonderful idea. <laughs> All right. Um, well, before we get into that, before we bring in Professor Jenkins and have what I'm sure is going to be a equal parts thought provoking and terrifying discussion with an amazing law professor and also indie creator, mm -hmm. wanted to talk to you about a piece of news that came in, I think, just yesterday as we were recording this that like directly implicates folks in your line of work at Lisa Rock Doc. You were the first person I thought of. In fact, when yeah. this story came in, the first thing I did was I looked at the co-host rotation. I was like, who's coming on this week? Oh, thank God it's Elisa Rock Doc. Just the person <laughs> we need to talk to. Because when we have news that's about SAG AFTRA and voiceovers and most importantly video game voiceovers mm -hmm. the idea that we get to have tyrene calypso from the borderland series talk to us about this story oh i mean powerful powerful stuff let's let me uh catch everybody up so here's what happened on january 9th sag aftra the union that represents the screen break. actors the tv radio artists they announced an agreement with artificial voice technology company Replica Studios to permit Replica to engage SAG-AFTRA members to create digital replicas of the performer's voice to use in video game development and other interactive media projects. In a statement supporting the deal, SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher applauded the deal as being, quote, a great example of AI done right. And by the way, every time we do a SAG after story where we quote Fran Drescher, it takes all the effort in the world for me not to imitate the nanny. This but is one of those crushing scenes. <laughs> As this is, this is one of those crushing scenes. That is what's happening. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Well, anyway, the union has is contending that this deal contains meaningful protections for union VO artists, including consent procedures for creating digital voice replicas, as well as the ability for performers to opt out of continued uses once they've opted in. However, a sizable contingent of voiceover artists, including, I'm assuming, Elisa Rockdog, if I can infer anything from her body language yeah. here, have come out in opposition to this deal. Many union performers have stated on social media that they did not know about, much less a vote to approve the replica deal, contrary to the union's claims that the deal was, quote, approved by affected members of the union's voiceover performer community. Some performers have contended that digital replicas will take job opportunities away from VO artists in the video game industry. You sound thrilled about all of this, Lisa Rock Dog. I'm so excited i'm so excited i'm so scared that i'm it is taking all of me to not drop so many f-bombs that this episode becomes unusable um but here's 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 the thing i full disclosure i am non-union um i work in the state of texas when i when i did tyrene calypso i was non-union then um and, you know, a couple of other complications there, being an employee of Gearbox at the time as well. Um, so I don't know 
a lot of the inner workings as a, you know, baby voice actor who's non-union about how these things work in terms of when information is disseminated out, what gets put up to a vote, what doesn't get put up to a vote. I don't know. I'm just going by every single one of my fellow voice actors that I happen to follow. Um, there is no one who's stoked about this at all. Um, especially when they talk about informed consent. And I want to say that I read an article somewhere where it was like, but there's also loopholes for things like um, if they use your voice in something that's historical or like a documentary kind of thing or parody or satire. Um, and that, that seems me. like a loophole you can drive a truck through. Absolutely. Especially because I'm like, what are you parodying? What are you satiring? Like I would love to have consent. Now there is, there's a lot said about taking jobs away from voice actors, but in particular, when it comes to video games and character acting, it's, we like acting. We would like to do that more. Um, we love our jobs and we would like to do them. Um, and anything about AI being some sort of a cost-cutting measure or maybe like democratizing voice acting so that other indie developers can maybe get their games off the ground. There are people willing to do this job for IMDb credit alone. You mm -hmm. have no excuse. This is a budget problem. You goofed. And it makes me question your priorities if you use AI voice acting. Um, you messed up in your budget somewhere where you didn't allot for paying artists to bring your art to life. That's on you, and I'm not buying your game. Straight up. Um, sorry, the finals. I really want to play you the finals, but you didn't have to do AI voice acting stuff. Really want to play you. Looks a lot, like a lot of fun, and honestly, I would love to do some of those um, voice acting barks, etc. However... The big thing that I don't know if people are discussing enough that I realize is that as a character actress, if you license your voice out to AI and it gets put in any number of video games, you're kind of boning yourself on the secondary market that a lot of voice actors have with conventions oh, and yeah. panel opportunities. Because how is somebody going to ask me, say, say somebody, let's in a hypothetical world that I pray does not exist. Let's say that they use my voice from Tyrene Calypso, right? And they make another DLC where Tyrene comes back and they stitch together a bunch of stuff. Um, how am I going to feel when somebody asks me, oh, how was it acting in this thing? What was it like bringing this character to life? I didn't. There isn't me in there um i would feel weird signing art like fan art for a character that i wasn't in the booth physically putting life to like that feels so odd and wrong um there are there are people that are going um there are voice actors that are taking a stand and saying that they don't want to sign um fan art um or any kind of art of of their video games that was created in AI. So this isn't even like just voice actors. We 
artists, artists, like visual artists, actors, everybody has to come together um, about this because artists are losing commissions on fan art because of AI. Um, and it and it really messes up that secondary market because how am I going to be like giving acting tips or have like, what is a panel about, you know, voices of X game going to look like if they licensed out a bunch of AI? Now the argument is, oh, well, it's not going to be for like principal roles. It's going to be for a lot of like NPC barks and like take cover and like a lot of that stuff. How did we get our jobs in the first place? How did we get to voice principal characters in the first place? How do we get on the job training? How do we get director interaction by doing those little barks? Right. The the roles that they want to that they are assuring us makes this all okay because all we're replacing with AI are these NPC characters. You're saying these are the characters that are often the entry point for baby VO artists to get into the industry. You are knocking out entry level positions. And then for the majors, you're going to be asking potentially for experienced actors. Where do we get that experience, bro? Like what's not clicking and it's not like you're saving us any trouble because the idea is like oh you can like license your voice out while you pursue other opportunities i want to be in that booth <laughs> this is the you opportunity in that booth this is the job we get to play we get to take direction and also not for nothing but a lot of video game moments that are quotable that people call some of the funniest moments in video game history a lot of that is sometimes improv. So have fun with that AI, I guess. You don't get handsome Jack eating pretzels and going, well, these pretzels suck in the middle of the thing if Damian Clark isn't in the booth literally eating pretzels. When You're he telling said me, that. Are you telling me that quote was improv? Yeah, yeah. He was literally eating pretzels <laughs> and then he just said, these pretzels suck. Into them and it kept it and it was brilliant. It was wonderful. Like things, things that I threw in as Tyreen, like throwing in the I bendito as one of the barks. Like that is a line that I threw in so that I could feel some sort of representation for myself. And other Puerto Ricans are coming at me in the DMs being like, I felt so seen and so represented because. I heard that in a video game and I never thought I'd hear that in a video game. Have fun with your soulless art, AI folks. You Let know? me ask you about this. And, you know, I hate to even Drink use, I even hate to use the phrase devil's advocate because God knows really? the devil doesn't need an advocate. But let me talk to you about one of the use cases that we're hearing uttered about using AI for NPCs, right? You play a video game like Skyrim. If you play it enough times, you're going to hear the phrase, I used to be an adventurer like you, but I took an arrow to the knee like 10,000 times. You play a game like Madden Football, you're going to hear the same audio over and over by like if you complete a pass for 10 yards and it makes the game like seem less dynamic, seem hackneyed. And so what, what these people are saying is we're going to use AI voiceover artists and a platform like OpenAI to give players in a game authentic kind of creative experiences when interacting with NPCs where you're going to hear different audio 
every single time you interact with an NPC, no matter how many times you play the game. And it could be a different experience with that character every single time you interact with them. And that's not something you could do with a real live human because you couldn't possibly have a person in the studio long enough to record an infinite number of responses that a character could make, a user could make to an NPC. Does that, does mean, does that kind of, uh, are you, are you sympathetic to that argument at all? No. <laughs> um, I want games with, I want shorter games with longer timelines that treat their people well. That's, that's, that's a budget issue. That's a scope issue. That's like, I like pay, pay people to come back in and do pickups pay oh, yeah. writers fair. to write more for them to say and maybe you don't have to be like buying and selling a bunch of companies and laying off people um maybe you could take some of those bonuses and like pay your 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 employees to do like good work and good art instead of you know hopping on the next gravy train and like you know screwing the reason that people even like these things because of the humans that actually make them yeah. as a as a sociologist who literally like championed the idea that like you can't just study video games as text because these are rich things that are made by people over years etc you are eliminating some of the primary reasons why these things exist and why these things are impactful. Um, and, and it is difficult for me to figure to, it is difficult for me to hear a justification for it. Um, that doesn't, um, like come in through my ear and translate in as starve, maybe get a real job. I don't know. Sorry. Mm. Um, so I will not abide it <laughs> personally. Well, um, I, there, there are so many of us that are so cheap and so available. <laughs> well, that's the other thing too. Like where, where is this like crisis of incredibly overpriced VO talent that has necessitated the employment of AI? Like, I mean, yeah. That, they, uh, so I was surprised when I read SAG after a statement and they they put in the statement, as we noted in the beginning of the story, that the deal was approved by the members of the affected members of the mm -hmm. union's voiceover performer community. I was like, that's interesting. So SAG after like sent out a memo to all the yeah. VO artists represented by the union said, hey, here's what we're going to do. And then they got overwhelming feedback saying, yes, we think this is a great idea. Go for it, Fran. And I was like, if that's true, that's pretty impressive. And then I saw on Twitter where overwhelmingly every VO artist I follow on Twitter was like, no, I was not consulted on this. So I think I got, got to the bottom of what the union means by this when they say that mm -hmm. we got the approval of the affected members of the voiceover community. I think what happened here was that the sag after deal that they struck with the AMPTP originally uh. with the movie and TV producers you know, buried within the reams of paragraphs and papers of that deal was a sentence about like the possibility that AI could be used with performers with the performer's consent. So they mm. took from that and said, Hey, the perform, you know, it's, it was in this AMPTP deal that the perform, that the actors that the union members approved 
And so thus, we are going to say that any deal in the future, including one that's just only about AI performers uh, in voiceovers, we're going to say that it was approved by the affected members of the community. The the mental gymnastics, too. Like... You know, As, uh, sort of um, like, you know, when you, you know, you, you ask your mom if you can stay out <laughs> past 11 one night and then like three weeks later, you, you know, stay out past 11 and say, hey, you told me it was OK this one time three weeks ago. I have the approval of the affected members of the mom community. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I am a baby voice actor, relatively speaking. But if I am seeing such overwhelming distaste for it, and especially considering like just the journey of actors and how these roles tend to happen, um, I, I really would love to know who was in the room and if there was literally anybody that was like, actually actually affected by this making these decisions because i feel like i don't know if they understand truly understand the potential implications and i don't think we're being alarmist about it necessarily um because in the society that we live in profits are king and we want to provide shareholder value and none of that says anything about art babe so going back to something you said earlier to make sure I understand this before we move on to the next topic, you you're of the view that you will not play any video game that has AI generated VO work in it. Now I say that right now there's room for nuance and I would love the opportunity to learn more and soften my stance. I would love nothing more than to be softer than I currently am. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a rage I love to live in. Um, so I would love to be able to soften my stance and, and be able to like see, you know, if some of these use cases that are stated actually hold water and are actually really and truly necessary for the particular thing that you are trying to produce. I would love to hear that argument. However, that game had better be like like i've i that basically that cost cutting measure or that time cutting measure or whatever it is um that had better result in the best video game i have ever played it better be <laughs> like you need to be having like deep thought provoking conversations like, with these npcs be like this had better be a tears of the kingdom you're giving me cuz because well and because when you have ai replacing amazing performers you miss out on some of these really incredible pieces of art that members of this community make including elisa rockdock who uh is here now to give us what i think is our most popular segment here at break the business people love no. the elisa rockdock career update oh hush and so we have a few minutes here before we go to break and then bring on uh, alan jenkins from harvard law school so can you give us just a, a little bit about what's been going on with you and and, and the many bookings you've had lately yeah so um 
a note to anybody who is in an actor or like audition adjacent community never despair because your life can change in seven, 24 to 72 hours. Um, and it's very important to uh, not only uh, get ready, but stay ready. So you don't got to get ready. Case in point, um, I love a job that will call me up at 11 a.m. and say, hey, are you available for some background work at 1 p.m.? <laughs> 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 here's the rate here's the location can you make it by then i'm like yup as i'm literally putting on my makeup to audition for something else um and that happened to be a cola guard commercial that featured the one and only dak prescott quarterback for the dallas cowboys i am dallas hey, based hey, hey. um i'm dallas based so it was very you know awesome to to be able to be a part of at, at least go to the go to the dallas cowboys practice facility to shoot it which is super super fun um and this was a commercial where i thought i was doing background work and i and it was basically like yell at dak prescott you know yell yell at him yell some criticisms you know like you're an angry football fan and i'm like well as a dolphins fan uh, hold on let me get into character yeah second. real stretch Real stretch, real stretch. Had to research this role. Incredibly against type. So <laughs> um, that I thought that that was going to be like a montage of like, I've heard a lot of criticisms and like, I thought I was going to be a blip in the background. And then it aired and I started getting some tags. Um, and uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if the video's queued up. But yeah, can we, Producer Lauren, do we have this? I love this commercial, by the way. As a professional quarterback, I get a lot of shit. Indecisiveness in the red zone. Most overrated quarterback. You have more turnovers than a bank sale! <laughs> and I get it. When you're not a fan of something, shitting on it can make you feel good. But what if I told you that now it can do some good too? Let me show you how. All right, we don't have to play the whole thing. Yeah. But, but you know it, it is a great commercial i highly recommend everybody sees it it is a, obviously for a very important cause which is colon cancer screening um and and i love that dak is having having a little fun of it um and it's it's for a great cause and i did not realize that i was going to get used in that sense but i appreciate it as soon as they put the teal scarf on me i was like let's go <laughs> i mean First of all, like you have more turnovers than a bake sale. Was that written or did you improv that? Off the dome, babe. Outstanding. <laughs> that's that's a great effing line right there. Um, and they you delivered it. You throw more picks than a guitar player. That was another oh. one I threw out, but they didn't use that one. Also <laughs> solid. Um, you know, we could have gone either way. Those are both. I mean, just so, you know, let's see an AI pull that one together. Right? Just saying. Thank. So, I mean, what I love about like what I love about this commercial is so right. It is for a really good cause, right? Because uh, the Color Guard product it is a is a home testing kit for uh, what colorectal cancer. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you know, and it's it's it, you know it's a really important product with like a you know the use process is not so pleasant, right? Like you can dress it up all you want, but really you you're pooping in a box and you're mailing your poop. You are, you are pooping in a bucket essentially. 
Yeah. And so they get to, and so like, but, but they're, they're being humorous about it, like, yeah. which I praise them for. Right. Because in your commercial, it's funny. Cause like it's Dak Prescott being like, you can poop on my face or, you know, poop on the Dallas Cowboys logo and, 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 you know, protect yourself from cancer at the same time. That's so much better than what this company was doing before. Cause like their old commercials was like old people singing my way by Frank yes. Sinatra. Yes. Yes. And like, you don't even like, and they don't, and they're trying to like disguise the fact that the product is about pooping yeah. in a box. And in your commercial, they lean into it, which I think is yeah. the way to go from a marketing standpoint. I wholeheartedly agree. That was, that was so much fun. And, and once again, as actors, we love to do our job. And this is a thing that, that we love to do and that we get to do. Um, yelling in public outside the Dallas Cowboys facility of Frisco, Texas in the open air, banging on a car that I do not own. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes commercial appearances at Lisa Rock Talk can be like that, where you have extensive screen time, your face is in the shot, you are within one second of mm -hmm. Dak Prescott appearing on the screen. And we, sometimes- We were not in the same building. We yeah, were, but <laughs> I mean, but still, Proximity, temporal proximity. Yes. The only thing, like if you go back and see the video, the only thing that separated you from Dak Prescott was a, a animation of a bunch of poop emojis. Now, Perfect. so, you know, pretty extensive, but, but I believe you also have an example of a recent commercial you did yes. that uh, was a little less uh, you yeah. focused. Yeah. So like I, I went, I booked a Verizon commercial folks like this ain't no slouch It's a huge brand. I and to the it was in Houston. I live in Dallas, so I drove down. I got a hotel room. There was a fitting day where I got to try on a bunch of clothes and have a cute little makeover montage, which I love. Um, and then the next day was an entire like 10 hour shoot, and then I drove all the way back home. And I am supposed to be an aunt that could not go to the holiday party that is currently being filmed and is um, talking to them via video chat. And I had filmed an extensive thing on a phone a couple of times, actually, they needed a couple of takes of it, of me hopping into the screen and saying hi and chatting with the family. I stood in a corner and fed the rest of the family line so that we could have that back and forth. That was a whole point of conflict in the commercial it was there it was, was a, a story. great shoot we i didn't know these people and by the end of it we felt like a real family oh, we worked man. so hard we did such good work together and and i'm very excited about the result everyone's always worried about slow internet during holiday get-togethers because everyone's trying to connect at the same time can Verizon 5G home internet, powered by the same 5G network as your phone, handle the holiday chaos? I'm Omar, an engineer with Verizon's Test Force, and I'm here in my hometown of Houston testing the 5G network. That's one fast 5G signal. I'm here with the Garcia family to see how Verizon 5G home powers their entire house. This is the holiday pressure. That's a gorgeous house. Ooh, that's streaming great. Okay, okay, and low lag so anyone can game like a pro. Calling me a pro. I think he was talking about me. Hola, mija. Oh, hey. Video chat, no problem. Oh, my. And the man is right here. Wait, wait, wait. Stop, stop. Families connect. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> I don't even know if the listeners caught that. 
Lord, can you go back to right before the only discernible appearance that we have of Elisa Rock Doc there, which I believe was just like a second of you saying, oh, hey. Can we Zapruder this, please? Yes. Oh, hey. Video chat? Nope. For the radio audience, you're not even pictured there. It's just your audio saying, oh, hey. And also, like, in that screenshot right there, Unfortunately, see, this is why you have to watch the live show. In that shot where you paused, I am in that room. I am behind Omar's shoulder up against the wall, cheated so that you don't see me in that mirror behind the family, feeding them lines so that we could be carrying on a conversation. I am in that room. No way. I am physically in that room right now. And, right there and then right now and you were saying that when they were shooting your like zoom video scenes like you did like costumes you like you know they hair and they, makeup they dress yep yep i did hair and makeup they curled my hair they recurled my hair my hair is already curly um they recurled my hair i put on an ensemble we had crafty we had full-on buffet crafty. <laughs> there was a rap party it was it was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous experience. Ten hours, you know. I got really good feedback from the director. <laughs> do do they? Sorry. Right, so when you get you know, little, you know, take us behind the scenes here. When when you find out that you like got substantially cut from the final version of the commercial, do they like give you a heads up beforehand? Like, does the director call you up? Hey, just to let you know, we you did a really great job, but like we're only going to be able to use this piece. Or do you find out when America does? I find out when a fellow castmate posts it super excited, like, oh my God, check out this thing that finally aired and then tag me in it. And I'm like, oh, hey, oh, hey, (laughs) oh no, hey, and shouts to agents. um and 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 shouts to 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 my agents and my admins uh that process the payments that check did clear folks so i ain't complaining i ain't complaining i have i have a credit and a check and i had a wonderful experience that was like my first major like on camera commercial shoot since the Dunkin' Donuts commercial I did like 10 years ago. Um, so I learned a lot. It was one of my favorite experiences ever. So I'm 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 happy that I'm represented in it even even a little bit because um, because it was just too much fun. And you nailed the oh, hey, we, we can all just say that with conviction, you know. All right, Sometimes 30 seconds before we go to break. You did book yes. something else, right? Like you you were just telling yes. me about this for the show. Yes. Um, so literally, not only can your life change in 72 hours, but they can often change in less than 12. I had an audition literally this afternoon at 1. I actually got there at 12.45 and was out by 1, and I booked it like four hours later. Hey, hey, hey. Love so it. coming to a movie theater in like the Dallas area near you, maybe. Ah. Love that for you. And and if, if it if it gets played somewhere, if you get a video of it and you want to bring it in for your next uh, appearance on the show, we'd love to see it I'm and celebrate you with you. All of my real fodder. <laughs> love it. All right. Let's take a break. We're gonna be joined by Professor Alan Jenkins right after this. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, 
and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Carella here with Elisa Rock Doc. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. He is a Harvard law professor and acclaimed social justice leader. Our guest has collaborated with New York Times bestselling author Gon Golan on 1-6, a graphic novel series that imagines an alternate history where the January 6th attacks on the Capitol succeeded. Issue 2 of 1-6 is available now, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting 16comics.com. We are happy to welcome back Professor Alan Jenkins on to Break the Business. Hi, Professor. Hey there. Thanks for having me back on. Excited to have you back on. Now, I I promised you last time we had you on the show that I wasn't going to just repeatedly call you professor. I'm going to try to stick to that. But you got to understand, it's the law student in me. It doesn't go away. Like my intimidation of law professors will never leave me. But I'm going to I'm going to see if I can work my way out of it. I get it. I get it. And I, I think I might have told you last time, a number of my colleagues on the law school faculty were also my professors many years ago so it's it's very welcome back cotter for those of you old enough to remember that uh yeah it's uh it's a little weird but i i managed to call them by their first name so please do the same with me i will endeavor (laughs) to do so and we're really excited to have you on again you last came on the show about 11 months ago to talk about the first issue of the one six graphic novel series and now you've released an issue this month to coincide with the third anniversary of the insurrection attempt. Can you kind of give us some feet, uh, you know, lay out for us what the last year has been like since you've put out these two editions? Wow. Yeah. Well, a lot's happened, right? There's, there've been four criminal indictments of, of, uh, former president Trump. Uh, lots of insurrectionists have either, uh, you know, uh, pleaded guilty or been convicted of crimes. Uh, the uh, you know January sixth select committee the uh, you know had its hearings and and issued its report. We've you know for my purposes along with my co-writer Gon Golan we've learned a ton and so we had to keep rewriting issue number two because uh, you know for your listeners issue number one is set about nine months after uh, a successful insurrection. Uh, issue number two goes back in time to look at the road that got us there. 
and it's mostly rooted in real events. So it actually begins with the Unite the Right uh, mm. march in Charlottesville that you know resulted in the death, the killing of a, a counter protester, and uh, was you know neo Nazis and and uh, uh, white supremacists. And you'll remember then President Trump said there were good people on both mm -hmm. sides. So we begin with that, and we take our readers through a lot of the real events, but also a lot of uh, the kind of fictional lives of our characters. And we're super clear with the readers about what is rooted in documented facts and what is purely fictional and what's speculative because we don't want any fake news, right? We wanna be super clear about that. But you know, every time there was some new revelation, Gan and I would have to figure out, do we incorporate this and how, uh, you know, it, are we including too much, too many real facts? Uh, at one point, our main artist, uh, uh, Will Rosado said, you know, it's, it's getting to be a little like a, a, a lawyer's PowerPoint, I believe is how he described it, which, you know, that was rough, but he was right. And so we had to kind of scale back the, you know, the factual storytelling and make sure we were giving our characters ample room. So yeah, so an awful lot has happened since I was last on the show. Well, let me ask you kind of what your current state of mind is right now. Elisa and I were talking about this a little bit at the beginning of the show. I would imagine that a principal goal of creating a work like this is you want to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. You want to you know, show people how fragile our democracy can be and how we have to be ever vigilant to protect it. And I feel like despite the work that, you know, you're doing with this novel and, and, and despite so many of us trying to be vigilant about protecting our democracy, I don't think we're any closer 11 months later to like preventing something like this from happening again. In fact, I see like so many signs that, oh my God, we could be heading down this road again. Donald Trump, despite his 91 counts of criminal indictments, is leading in the polls and is likely going to be the nominee for the president of the United States. There are supporters in his party who are saying, even if he is convicted of any of these crimes, they will still support him. And so, I mean, when you see these kind of things, like, does it make you feel like, God, what are we doing? Like, I mean, this this graphic novel, like, is this graphic novel going to be like a warning or are the one six people going to read your novel and like look for tips in it? <laughs> well, it's a terrifying, terrifying moment that we're in for all the reasons that you described. In addition to the fact that far more people, mostly Republicans, now believe that the insurrection was justified or that it at least was nonviolent and not an insurrection, which of course, you know, we literally saw with our own eyes, the violence, the people who, who died uh, and were killed that day, the uh, disrespect and spitting on police officers and all of that. And now you see a large segment of the public, a significant segment, actually uh, starting to, to revise their uh, memories of it. Uh, and that's, of course, because you have a pro-Trump echo chamber uh, of social media and you know, news media and the like that are continuing to, to convey a false narrative on that. So yeah, so I'm scared. But uh, you know, to your question, Ryan, I, I really feel you know, very gratified that we decided to do this series uh, because we didn't, you know, we started writing this thing, you know, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. We didn't know 
where the country would be when subsequent issues came out. And so I'm afraid, but I also feel like it's it's more needed than it it was when we started in in large part because we're reaching a lot of people who were not paying attention or who were undecided or even skeptical about whether our democracy was at risk uh, and you know pop culture may be one of the only ways to reach across these lines of difference and demographics and the like so uh, scared but but gratified and still hopeful does making graphic novels and using the pop culture medium to get your message out that's got to make you the coolest professor on the harvard law campus right like i mean i don't see Cass sunstein making graphic novels i don't where's where's lawrence lessig's graphic novel that's all i'm saying well i first of all it's a low bar right <laughs> Uh, you know, the, to be the coolest Harvard Law School professor, but you actually- I mean, Sunstein's in, pretty rad, just well, putting that in. I was about to say, in naming my colleagues, Cass Sunstein and Lawrence Lessig, you actually picked some of the coolest uh, uh, law professors on, on campus. So I don't know, I don't know where I rank with them, but uh, I, a, a lot of my students are, are pretty excited about it. I, I can definitely attest to that. I mean, have you learned any lessons about like now having put this graphic novel out, we can put you among the ranks of indie creators, the sort of indie creators that we celebrate on this program that we interview on a regular basis. Have you learned any sort of indie creator lessons or maybe something happened in the last 11 months since putting this work out that you didn't see coming that was unexpected for you that you could share with us? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, there are little things like figuring out you know, barcodes and dealing with Amazon, uh, mm. which has been more than a notion, uh, where we, we've sold the most comic books actually is, is on Amazon. Um, but also, you know, just my admiration for the people who do this kind of, of creativity as their main gig. Uh, mm. Because I would, you know, I would have lost my house by now, uh, long ago, if I were only in the comic book business. It's, you know, it's a, uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. I'm a comic book guy from way, way back, but you know, it's a grind and, uh, you know, I've been to four comic cons in the last mm -hmm. six months and, uh, you know, you, you might get a run on your book or you might sell three and, you know, have to wonder whether it was worth the Amtrak tickets. So, you know, it's, um, it's, I don't have to tell you all, but, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. And I really, I have even more respect now for the creators, especially people, and I'm talking about comic books now, people who are outside of the Marvel and DC system. It's hard mm -hmm. enough for uh, artists and creatives in, who are working within that system. And uh, there's a, a friend of mine, uh, Joe Illich, has written a lot about how tough it is for people in that system. But you know, for people who are doing indie work, really really challenging so my my hat's off to them absolutely yep i'm i'm curious from a a you know media literacy and another reason to be scared in the sense that uh more and more your graphic novel may not show up in some of the places that need them the most like mm. say school libraries I don't know. <laughs> Um, so how, how can we, a collective, we, 
the trio of we um, kind of help bring media literacy back um and because i feel like there is a there is a a huge lack of context when a lot of things get pulled off library shelves etc um how can we bring media literacy back and kind of stop maybe some of this sort of panic that's that's going on and make sure that some of these stories can still get told yeah well thanks for that question, Elisa, a, a couple of things. One is uh, congratulations on the audition and, you know, condolences on Verizon, but, uh, you know, I heard you. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, to to your question, yeah, I mean, the, the second point is we actually raised, one of the things we did, we did a Kickstarter, and one of the, the things we used those funds for was to send free copies of uh, issue one and now issue two to public school, li public libraries, to college uh, and university libraries. Uh, we sent copies to 180 election deniers in Congress and uh, to some, some uh, democracy defenders. But you know, not everybody can do that right, with their books. And, and to your, you know, your point, increasingly you're seeing uh, content banned uh, in, uh, in school districts and in, in communities. And it's especially by creators of color and queer creators. Uh, and content that covers uh, uh, those communities. And so, you know, part of it, and, and uh, you know, we actually have a free education and action guide that goes with our comic book series and people can just use the QR code to get it. One of the things it says is, you know, we gotta show up, right? We have to support our local librarians. We have to, to go to, uh, you know, school board meetings and city council meetings and town halls and be part of the, the conversation there. And, you know, to do so with empathy, you know, I, it's, it's, I think it's fine to get angry and, and uh, you know, about injustice and censorship, but we need to channel that into, uh, you know, productive engagement and really having some empathy for the people we're trying to persuade. I tell my mm -hmm. students, that empathy is is our superpower. No one ever persuaded another person without first understanding that person. Uh, that's a, a first step, and we often forget about that. So, you know, I think all of those things are important. I think there are also a lot of uh, great organizations that are combating censorship and working for media literacy. One of my favorites is the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Yes, that exists. Uh, and they're doing some cutting edge uh, work on that. So uh, a lot of individual things that, that we can all do in addition to voting democracy and truth uh, and equal dignity. Let's talk about the, the playbook for the next year because, oh God, I'm about to hate this sentence. We're in an election year. Oh, oh. I mean, like, look, I mean, look, I, I love that we live in a democracy and that's all great. But uh, I feel like I feel like we just did one of these, man. Like my muscles still hurt from like doing this uh, four years ago. But we're back, baby. Um, as we get closer to this next election, Alan, with a we as you've noted, there is a significant segment of the population that despite seeing video evidence of what happened on January 6th, incontrovertible video evidence that this was an insurrection attempt, that it was orchestrated by supporters of President Trump, that they will not agree to that those things being the case. Like we can't agree on our own facts and our own truths. Um, how do we 
mobilize in this election year? How do we not lose hope in this election year so that we can actually create like a socially just and democracy fulfilling outcome in November? Yeah, well, you know, an important thing about our graphic novel is it is uh, a lot of it is a story of hope and resistance Mm. uh, of everyday people coming together to address uh, you know, and, and restore our democracy while arguing amongst themselves about what that restored democracy should look like. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to do that, it's a, it's a callback in some ways to uh, the founding of our, our country, uh, where, you know, the, the framers, the, the founding fathers were uh, arguing about how to beat the British. And they were also arguing about what our constitution should say and should we have slavery and what should it look like? Unfortunately, they made some some bad decisions along with the good ones. Uh, and so our characters are doing the same, but it also is a reflection on all of us that we've got to come together to get active, to get organized. Uh, you know, th- this is, uh, you know, this is a- an election where we're going to have to stand up for democracy and truth and equal justice. And even in in those places where we might not be excited about the candidates, right? This is an election that is not just about candidates. It's about the very preservation uh, of our democracy and our ability to improve it and make it make a more perfect union going forward. Uh, you know, very few of us are completely satisfied with every aspect of our democracy or our society, but we need to continually be able to move forward. And if things go sideways uh, in this election, we're not going to have the ability to do that. And so, you know, that's part of the message. I think we also have to continually try keep trying to reach other people. I'll tell you a my favorite story coming out of uh, the the comic book experience. Uh, so, as I said, I've been to four comic cons. One of them was uh, Baltimore. That Lawrence Lessig's never been to a comic con. Just say it. <laughs> you know, I I wouldn't put it past Larry to have been to a comic con. I'm going to ask him at, at our next faculty meeting. Uh, but um, I, so I, I'm at Baltimore Comic Con with the comic book. And a guy comes up to me, he's in his 40s, he looked like, with his son. And he had his uh, baby Yoda backpack. And he said, you know, your book looks great. And, uh, you know, I want to buy a copy. And how'd you come up with this idea? And were you, you know, were you there? And I said, well, you know, I wasn't there, but I, I interviewed a bunch of people and reporters. And he said, oh, I was there. I said, really? What, what were you doing there? And he said, well, the president told us to come. So I came. Oh my God. And he took out his phone. And he started showing me photographs of himself at the insurrection with mayhem behind him, right? And uh, he kept saying, you know, uh, I, I don't usually tell people this. And I'm thinking like- oh, With good reason. He just yeah. met, yeah. But um, he said that he, uh, he went to the ellipse and he saw Trump speak and Trump said that he should head for the cap, that, that they should all head to the Capitol. And he did that. And he said he saw people breaking into the Capitol and he was going to follow them. And a woman who had come down on the bus with him, another MAGA voter, said, you know, we got kids at home. I don't think we should go in there. I think we're going to get in trouble. And he said kind of the, the fever broke in terms of breaking mm-hmm. into the Capitol and he didn't do it. And he said, you know, a bunch of people around him subsequently were, were prosecuted. And uh, he was looking over his shoulder for a year, expecting the FBI to, to break in. At no point did he say, and I now realize everything I did was wrong. Oh. 
Okay. So, you know, I think he's still, this is my view. He didn't say this. I think he's struggling with, you know, was I fed a bunch of lies or, you know, mm -hmm. was it true? Did I do the right thing? It's very hard to kind of acknowledge even to yourself that maybe you were, you know, completely misled into almost, you know, going to prison. Uh, and, but, you know, he and I spent 20 minutes together. And, you know, in what other setting would I have been able to spend 20 minutes mm -hmm. talking with an insurrectionist? It's civilized conversation, friendly. We talked about each other's kids, uh, you know, and uh, he bought a copy of the book and he left. And then I thought, man, I hope he doesn't read this book before I get out of here because I don't know, you know, if he really understands what it's about. And about 10 minutes later, he came back and I thought, you know, rut row, what's going to happen? And uh, he, he said, can you sign this for me? And I signed it for him and he was off, right? So the, the point of, the, the, of my telling the story is we have to find each other's humanity mm -hmm. and you know, help each other to move back from the, the brink. Uh, I don't know, you know if I, you know, my comic book is gonna change this guy's worldview, but I have a shot. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I had a shot at, at him, uh, that's a bad metaphor. I had a, a, you know, a fair, ch fair chance to convince him uh, because of our shared love of pop culture and, and comic books. And so, you know, we got to find those connections to, you know, I'm not sure that every insurrectionist is, is persuadable, but we all know people in our lives uh, who, you know, say all kinds of whack stuff. And, you know, let's not give up on them. Let's not scream at them. Let's see if we can find our shared values and, and uh, you know, bring each other to a better place. Our guest has been Harvard Law Professor Alan Jenkins, author of 1-6, a graphic novel series that imagines an alternate history where the January 6th attacks on the Capitol succeeded. Issue two of the graphic novel series is available now, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting 1-6comics.com. Elisa, oh, did you just show off the uh, artwork there? Yeah. That was pretty snazzy. I Elisa, did. you want to give uh, Alan our final question? Of course. And we ask this to all of our guests. Do you have any last tips for other fellow indie creators out there to help move their careers forward? Wow. Um, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you you can't do it. They might be right. So, you know, listen. But then, uh, you know, once you've thought about it and you've decided that, you know, it's what you need to do, which is as artists, so many of us mm -hmm. feel. Uh, you know, then you need to go forward undeterred and, you know, think about the networks that you have. Uh, you know, I could never have moved this project forward if I hadn't first reached out, uh, reached out to my friend and co-conspirator, uh, Gan Golan, who is a graphic novelist, right? Somebody who knew the business. Uh, we could never have succeeded if we hadn't reached out to and, and paid. Uh, you know, people who were, you know, handling our social media uh, and uh, handling our uh, press work. And so, you know, it really has taken a village and, uh, you know, we had to be humble about it, right? We had to listen when people told us, hey, you know, you, I know you want to do it this way, but that's actually not a way that you can get this work done. Um, that's that listening process and, and kind of not just reaching out to, you know, tell people what they can do for you, mm -hmm. but actually listening and figuring out how you can work together. Really, really essential. Our thanks to professor Alan Jenkins, Elisa Rockdock. always thanks to producer Lauren and thanks to all you viewers and listeners for checking out, break the business. We'll see you next week.